0: In the passage that we've read in in the last so many chapters of the book of Acts of the Apostles, Paul's on a journey from Caesarea to Rome where he has to defend himself against trumped-up charges the unbelieving Jews have made against him. Now, he's on a ship. He's a prisoner in chains, guarded by a Roman centurion, Julius, and some of the Roman soldiers. Paul's accompanied by Luke, who is the author of the Acts of the Apostles and the Gospel of Luke, and Aristarchus, who's from the Christian church that Paul founded in Thessalonica. And as they sail away from the island of Malta, it's the beginning of February AD 60, The journey from Caesarea, which is on Judea's coast, to the city of Rome, started in August AD 59. And it should have taken about four weeks, but it's taken over six months. Now, my first point is this. God's will and God's purpose always succeeds. It's clearly seen in the Bible time and again both in explicit statements of doctrine and in the circumstances of the histories recorded, that God's will always comes to pass. God's purposes cannot be thwarted, nor his plans frustrated. If God says it will happen, then it does happen. We see this clearly in the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, as recorded in Acts of the Apostles. In summer AD 35, when the risen Lord Jesus Christ stops Paul in his tracks on the road to Damascus, Jesus says, Acts 9.15, that Paul will carry his name to Gentiles, to kings and the people of Israel. And we see recorded in the rest of the book of Acts, don't we, that Paul has certainly done that. He preached the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead to thousands of Jews thousands of Gentiles, to King Herod Agrippa and to the Roman procurators Felix and Festus. So looking at Paul's life, not only does God's will and purpose always succeed, we see that it's not always a a smooth path that the Lord God leads us on, is it? But it is his sure and determined path. God's path is not an easy path conveyor belt from A to B. It's not easy for those on it. It's a challenging path. It's a path that changes us and develops us through the difficulties we meet. A path that is intended to mould us increasingly into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a path that will give us the skills and knowledge we need for the trials and opportunities ahead. Now, if you want to be on the winning side, yeah, if you want to be on the winning side, then be on the Lord's side. All, all, all the outstanding promises of the Bible will come true. You want to be on the winning side, be on the Lord's side. God's will and purpose always succeeds. And Paul is in Rome in fulfillment of Christ's command and the prophecies despite everything. You know, Paul was nearly beaten to death in the temple. And he was taken under guard uh, by the Romans when he was in Jerusalem, recorded in Acts 23.11. And the Lord stood near Paul and says, take courage you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The very next day, there was 50 men vowing to assassinate Paul. And despite that, Paul gets to Rome. Despite being falsely accused of crimes, which carried the death sentence, despite being locked up in the fortress of Caesarea Philippi for two years, despite trials before the procurator Felix and then Festus and then King Herod Agrippa, despite Rome being 1,800 miles away, despite the bad decisions of a ship's captain, and despite exceptionally bad weather and even a shipwreck, despite a viper Biting Paul's hand, Paul is now here in Rome. That's truly amazing. Humanly speaking, it was totally against the odds that Paul would reach Rome. At multiple steps along the way, it seemed likely that Paul would be killed either by men, or by the weather, or by the snake. Luke records in Acts 27.20 when Paul and the others are on a ship that's got caught in a terrible raging storm. He says that when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. That's Luke. Luke knows about the prophecy from the Lord Jesus Christ that Paul will testify about Him in Rome, but Luke says we, we we all gave up hope. Yet even at this point of utter despair, when they're on the ship, and it looks that they all must die, God spoke again to Paul through His angels, Acts twenty through His angel in Acts 27, 24, and said, "Do not be afraid, Paul." And he makes the statement even more specific, you must stand trial before Caesar. So when the odds are so stacked against you, would you trust God and his word? When all seems totally lost, would you cling to the word of God as being utterly sure? Well, here in verse 16, in chapter 28, Paul is in Rome, in fulfillment of Christ's command and prophecy. Despite the bad decisions of ship's captains, and the bad weather, and the shipwreck in a raging sea, even in the weakness and inability of men, in each and every situation, God's purposes will come to pass, His promises are sure, and we, every single one of us here today, can rely upon the clear and solid certainty that is the word of God in this insecure and precarious world. God's word is the rock that we can stand on. So that's my first point God's will and purpose always succeeds and I've got four points in total and the second one is what is God's important message to pagan Rome and to Nero. God, God has had Paul take this message from the despised fringes of the Roman Empire to its very heart Rome was then the capital It was the capital city of the Western world, and it had about 2 million inhabitants. It had about a million Roman citizens in it, and it had about a million slaves. Most of the citizens, like the slaves, were dirt poor. But there was about 20,000 people in Rome that had some money. Now, the Lord God had taken great pains to ensure that Paul arrives in Rome with this message and that he paul will be brought before caesar caesar of course is nero so paul is going to be a witness about the lord jesus christ to the pagan emperor nero so it's a, so what message is he bringing well paul is bringing a message of the power that the power of god is actively at work in this world and he's bringing to the pagan leaders of the world a message of resurrection and of judgment Paul is a, an eyewitness to the bodily resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth what a statement eh? that would make you listen carefully wouldn't it if you met somebody who was an eyewitness of somebody being bodily raised from the dead. Paul always preached about the death of Christ on the cross, and he also always preached the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The resurrection is the proof miracle of the Bible. If the resurrection is false, The rest of it falls. The resurrection of Jesus proves that he is the one who will judge this ungodly world in righteousness. And Paul declared that, didn't he, to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. What a day of woe and shame that will be for each and every one of us to be judged in righteousness by a holy and sinless judge it will be a personal disaster for guilty sinners like you and me that's the message Paul's preaching to these pagans that the judge of mankind has been appointed and it is this one who has been raised bodily from the dead But Paul also preached a message of the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus on the cross. A message of mercy and pardon from God to the sinner. Mercy, yes, but repentance is necessary. A message of resurrection. A message of coming judgment. And a message of repentance is to be spoken to nero imagine speaking truth to power like that that's what paul's got to do he's got to go to one of the most vicious cruel and uh, uh, and unstable men in the world and preach this great truth to him And the Roman emperors did often listen to the court cases. It's well recorded by Suetonius and Tacitus and others that they went and listened personally and judged the court cases. And indeed, speaking truth to power, think of Nero. He had murdered his own mother, Agrippina, less than a year earlier than when Paul arrived here in Rome. Agrippina had been murdered on the 23rd of March, AD 59. And Nero was racked with guilt and nightmares thereafter. And he certainly needed to repent. But he never did. His actions only went from bad... To worse, and he committed suicide eight years later. The, Paul took the message of resurrection, judgment, and the necessity of repentance to that man. This message is also for you and me here today. Even though we may not have murdered our own mothers, yet we are still guilty of many things before a holy God. Will I repent? Will you repent? And trust in the work of the raised Jesus of Nazareth or like Nero? Will our actions only go from bad to worse now the third point is that Paul was known and respected in Rome it says that uh, he sailed to Rome verse 11 and uh, when they arrived in Italy and reached Regium and then they sailed further up and they came to Puteoli where we found brethren and we were invited to stay with them seven days, and so we went towards Rome. Verse 15, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and, three, and the three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, as the crow flies, it's 423 miles from Malta to Rome. And verse 11, The ship that we're on, this Alexandrian grain ship, was named after the pagan islands' idols Castor and Pollux. There's two stars in the constellation of Gemini, uh, named that as well to this very day, the two brothers. And they sail from Malta to the port of Syracuse, which is in Sicily, you know, poor old Sicily, kicked by Italy into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And they sailed through the Straits of Messina. That's the gap between Sicily and Italy. And they landed at Regium. And uh, getting a good wind from the south, they then sailed 182 miles northwards to Puteoli, which is just north of what was then called Neapolis, that we call today Naples. And Puteoli is the port where all the Alexandrian grain ships put into port, and unloaded their cargoes. The rest of Paul's journey would be about 140 miles overland to Rome on that most oldest and most famous Roman road, the Appian Way. But, and Paul stays with Christians for a whole week when he gets to Puteoli. And verse 15 says that those Christians sent word immediately to the church in Rome, that Paul perhaps unexpectedly was on his way. So after a week of good hospitality and and fellowship, Paul's party, the centurion, the Roman soldiers, and the other prisoners start the 140-mile walk to Rome. And Paul is met 40 miles from Rome by Christians coming the other way. They've come out from Rome... And some of them meet them at the Forum of Appius, and, uh, and as he goes another further 10 miles with those Christians, he finds another party has come out 30 miles from Rome, and they meet up at the three taverns. So Paul is met on his travels by two groups of Roman Christians. And verse 15 says that Paul is greatly encouraged by the sight of these people, and he gives thanks. Now for these Romans, these Roman Christians, it's a 40 mile journey from Rome to the Forum of Appius and then it's another 40 miles back. But they are happy to make it on foot or by cart because they are greatly honoring Paul and they wish to come out and meet him and welcome him and have fellowship with him. They must have left Rome immediately, word got to them, from the Christians who sent the message from Puteoli. Now Paul had longed to visit the church in Rome, to be a spiritual blessing to them, and to be mutually encouraged. And you only have to read Romans 1 verses 9 to 13 to see this. And Paul reminds them that he's been praying regularly for them for years Now, the book of Romans was written in the winter of AD 56-57. And here in Acts 28, it was written from Corinth, of course. And Paul here in Acts 28 arrives in Rome at the end of February AD 60. That's just over three years later. And that's why, uh, you know, Acts 28-15, in some where it could be called Romans chapter 17. At the very least, it serves as an appendix to the letter to the Romans. And even if the Christian church today recognizes the book of Romans um, for, for its importance in its statements of the gospel, it's still important to note what that letter's first recipients thought of it. Paul knows a lot of people in Rome, doesn't he? Not the least of them Priscilla and Aquila, whom Paul worked with in Corinth, as recorded in Acts 18. And at the end of uh, Romans 16, Paul uh, sends greetings to 26 named individuals who were in the church in Rome. Paul is known and respected in Rome. Now, you know, there's, uh, there's some people... I wouldn't cross the street to greet. Do you know that? I, would, I wouldn't go across the road, particularly if there's traffic on the road, to, to meet some people. But these Christians have walked 60 or 80 miles to meet the Apostle Paul. What motivated them to do that? Eh? And... They must have, at a moment's notice, had to drop everything and invest a week of their time just to be with Paul, yeah, who would you do that for, only your very closest relatives and dearest friends that's true, isn't it? You would just drop everything, whatever jobs they had, they dropped it, they got on the road, whatever appointments they had made that week, you know they cancelled all them, all those zoom meetings all those important assignments you've got that homework that's got to be gotten all those visits you've got to make all that shopping you've got to do they just forgot it they got on the road at the first opportunity one group perhaps immediately that same day they heard paul was coming the others perhaps they had to make a few arrangements and they head off the second day and so arrive 10 miles later We see here, don't we, that they wanted the privilege of welcoming Paul and enjoying his company whilst walking back those 30 or 40 miles to Rome. Paul, the author of the book to the Romans, is fully accepted and welcomed by the Christians in the Roman Church. Therefore, we can be confident his doctrine is fully accepted and his authority as an apostle is also thoroughly accepted. What an appendix, eh? To the letter to the Romans. You know, we might send some letters to people. Doesn't mean to say they agree with even one word that we've written to them, does it? You know? We might send a wonderful letter to people, but they may totally disrespect it and deny the contents. Not so these Christians in Rome. And they accept the message of the book of Romans, don't they? The message that Paul had to the pagans is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the judgment to come. The message to the Christians in Rome is that faith in Christ is not a mere belief system, but it results in a totally transformed life. That's the message of the book of Romans, isn't it, to Christians? The transformed life in Jesus Christ. Those undeserving sinners are saved by grace through the atoning death of the son of God on the cross and those that are joined to Jesus Christ in his glorious resurrection have a new life in him we must live a transformed life because of what God has done for us and because of the power of God's Holy Spirit in each and every believer what a message to send to the Christians living amongst two million pagans in Rome. What a message to bring to us living in this wicked and adulterous generation today, a world obsessed with celebrity, money, position, and appearances. What we need is the fruit of God's spirit. We need to submit to God. We need to not be selfish, but actually be loving to our neighbors. We need to be good citizens. We need to be respecting each other. We need to be diligent in all that we do. And we need to be generous, showing mercy with cheerfulness. And as the Apostle Paul puts it, This is just our reasonable service. Have you got this transforming spirit of God in you? Have I got it in me? The eagerness of the Romans to put themselves out for Paul at the drop of a hat, I believe, is proof of their changed lives. What about us? Paul, the author of Romans, you know, he can personally vouch for the reality of a transformed life. Is that true for you? So my fourth point, what about Paul's transformed life? Well, we've seen here, In the book of Acts, something extraordinary. We see grace under pressure. Acts 28.16 says, as we've read tonight, now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. Paul was a prisoner. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. How come by the time they get to Rome on this six-month journey maybe seven-month journey, Paul is being treated very differently from the other prisoners. After all, we read, going back a chapter, in chapter 27, verse 1, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment, the Augustan regiment. So initially, Paul is just one, isn't he, of several prisoners, being transported from the Roman fortress at Caesarea Philippi to Rome for trial. And his life is at stake when he gets there. But Paul makes an immediate impression on Julius the centurion. We know because in verse 3, and the next day, this is the day after being handed over um, in the centurion's care, the next day, luke records they landed at sidon and julius treated paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care paul's attitude has been a very good one if you were a prisoner would you get time off for good behavior within one day paul has what is the character of this guy how obvious is the transforming nature of Christ in him? However, Paul's still a prisoner, and seven weeks later, when Paul warns of the danger of the late crossing of the uh, late in the year crossing of the sea in Acts 27, verse 11, he says, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Paul, you know, you've got your area of expertise. Mine's soldiering, and these guys, they're the sailors. I'll listen to them. But in the near-death experience of the devastating storm at sea, Paul's character and manner become clearly evident to the centurion. Paul correctly ascertains that the sailors are wanting to save themselves by abandoning the ship in the lifeboat and leave the passengers, Paul, and soldiers all to a watery fate. Acts 27, verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Though Paul's statement, later statement, that the boat will run aground on an island and all 276 people on board will be saved seems very unlikely. Everything else that Paul says has proven both wise and reliable. So that when the ship, having subsequently run aground, and is breaking up in the waves, and the insol- and the soldiers intend to kill all the prisoners, including Paul, To prevent their escape, we read in verse 43 of Acts 27, the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept the soldiers from carrying out their plan. Amazing, isn't it? Can you make such an impression upon somebody, even as a prisoner? Later, due to Paul healing both the Maltese governor's father and many of the islanders, Paul and the travellers are honoured by the islanders and given the supplies that they need when three months later they sailed from Malta to Rome, just at the start of the passage that we read. What's going on with Paul? Paul is, of course, living a transformed life, isn't he? A transformed life that can only be brought about by God's Holy Spirit A life not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of Paul's mind. And Paul proves this transformed character in multiple difficult situations. Would you be a model prisoner in Paul's situation? Romans 13, it's easy to agree with it, isn't it? But in that situation... Would you have agreed to it? I'm sure it was on Paul's mind that he'd written those words just three years earlier to respect all lawful authority, even when that lawful authority is holding you prisoner on a sinking ship. Even when when held in captivity in Caesarea for two years on trumped up charges, Paul is patient in his tribulations. And he's steadfast in prayer. So we need to be too. Or perhaps you're more like me. Are you more like me? You become more difficult to deal with when circumstances become difficult. Eh? Too often I'm like that. Perhaps too often you're like that as well. Yeah, we're kicking against the goads. Paul's character, attitude, and behavior allow him to preach the gospel even whilst he's in chains. It's dead easy to put somebody in chains down, you know, talking about righteousness and holiness. Look, mate, you're the one in chains, not me. But Paul's character, attitude, and behavior allow him to preach the gospel even when he's in chains. And Philippians written during the two years while Paul was in house arrest as recorded later on in this chapter of Acts when he writes um, from Rome to the Philippines says as I read at the beginning verse 13 of Philippians chapter 1 as a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What has become clear about your life that there's something about you for Christ? That's that's challenging me, that one. That's a hard one, isn't it? Eamon Walsh. Oh yes. What would they say about my connection to Christ? What would they say about your life? That Paul made a big impression on Julius the Centurion. We see clearly in Acts 28, verse 14, where on making landfall in Italy, in the Roman port of Puteoli, Paul is allowed to stay a full week with Christian brethren. Paul is graceful under pressure. What about me? And what about you? The pressure, stress, hardship, worry, anxiety, hassle, what effect do they have on your behaviour? Do we exhibit the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our actions and attitude? Paul said, when he was weak, then he would be strong in Christ Jesus, for he found that Jesus' grace would be sufficient for him. May it sustain us through all our difficulties too.